A heads up, there are going to be some unbleeped racial slurs in this episode. From Vermont Public, this is Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn. In Vermont, there's something we are pretty in love with. I don't know, it just always feels like a big hug <laughs> living here. <laughs> Especially in like things like this, like I'm standing barefoot at the farmer's market right now. Like Many things are a lot easier in Vermont for sure, and I think that's because there are so few people here. I love Vermont because it's beautiful. It's just utterly beautiful. And it's summertime right now, and it just doesn't get any better than this. Anywhere. Vermont really freaking loves Vermont. So wholeheartedly and completely, in fact, that if you've had a hard time living here, and admittedly, that's been me at times, it begs the question, what's our problem? I mean, if we aren't happy here, there's got to be something wrong with us, right? And I have noticed that if you point out Vermont's shortcomings, some people can get pretty worked up. So let this be a trigger warning. That's what today's episode is all about. For as long as I can remember, I have always known that I was going to leave Vermont. That's Mile Goyle. She sent us a question that began with, quote, from me, a former Vermonter. A former Vermonter. That's almost an oxymoron around here. Turns out, Mile needed more than space from Vermont. I still carry these, like, memories and experiences of not being fully accepted when I was growing up there. Mile broke up with Vermont a long time ago. She now lives in Seattle and has a question for others like her who have traded in the Green Mountains for more citified skies. And I was wondering, what's up with the Vermont diaspora? Why did they leave, and what would it take for them to come back? Welcome to Brave Little State. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we know our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today, we'll hear from some former Vermonters about their relationship with our state. And spoiler alert, it's complicated. There's the love that brought them here. It's an uppercase paradox, for sure, but um, it is a home of mine. The disappointments that prompted them to leave. I love it where we live, but like I can't just drive all the time. Like if I didn't have to drive so far. And what would have to change for them to come back? I think truth and reconciliation. One of the things that bothered me the most about Vermont is that Vermont lies. Vermont, get ready, because this episode is going to give us a long, hard look at ourselves through the eyes of our diaspora. We have support from Vermont Public Sustaining Members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com.
Milay Goyle grew up in Marshfield, a small town with a few dirt roads in Washington County. It's pretty quaint. It even has a weaving school. Today, Marshfield has a population of around 1,500 people, and back when Miele was there in 1990, the population was also around 1,500 people. In a lot of ways, Miele's childhood was quintessential small-town rural Vermont. Dirt roads, general stores, and a dad who was a logger that everyone knew. I call these perfect Vermont scenes Norman Rockwell paintings. However, Miele's dad is white, and she's not. So much for the Rockwell. I'm an adoptee, um, and I came to the U.S. when I was four. I was adopted by um, a very large French-Canadian family. Um, I'm from Vietnam. I have another sister from Vietnam and another sister from Korea. Miele says that she and her two sisters were the only three Asians in town. I had kind of a love-hate relationship with the state and with the community I was in, which is very, really hard to say because it's a really close and tight little community, but for me, it was really hard to grow up here. I wanted to know more about what Mile meant about her hard time growing up here, but I decided to ask her to write it down in an email for me instead of saying it on tape. I know from experience that saying words like these aloud can be re-traumatizing, and we don't want that for Mile, so I'm going to say them for her. Miele says that when she was growing up in Marshfield in the 90s, she heard repeated derogatory and racist slurs like chink, gook, and in some cases the n-word or Chinaman. She was told she was foreign, while people would pull at the corners of their eyes to mimic her slanted eyes. She was asked to speak Asian or perform some martial arts on demand because, quote, every chink knows kung fu. She was mocked by people using fake Asian accents and languages and asked to read Asian characters that were imprinted on t-shirts. Others made jokes about how chinks can't drive and told her to go back to where she came from. Eventually, it all led to physical abuse, pushing and shoving her against the school lockers while calling her racist names, spitting on her, and yelling epithets. She says there's more than what she sent me, that this is just a start. And Mile says, yeah. That was all bad stuff. But even worse was and is this feeling that Vermont is just so loved up. She couldn't even sell people on compassion for the hard time she was having. Folks just didn't want to break through the Rockwell. Sometimes I feel like if you say something bad about Vermont, there's a dismissiveness or defensiveness as, as, as anybody would do if you're saying something critical. But instead of saying, oh, huh, let me think about that. Let me think about that from your perspective. I don't know if I hear that very often. If Vermont is Miele's ex-lover, she's doing what a lot of us do with our exes. She's been stalking us online. She's subscribed to Seven Days, she listens to Brave Little State, and she even visits now and again to get a creamy, chocolate in particular. And when she's here, she has one every single day. And it's because she has this other thing she hopes for Vermont as we do our exes. She hopes that someday it will change. Re- well, recently I have started to see some other parts of Vermont that have made me wonder, like, gosh, you know, could I ever move back here? And um, every single time I think about it, I always remember all the reasons why I left, and then I think, no, I can't. But then something always kind of 
makes me curious and draws me back in again. And so I have this push-pull thing with Vermont, and particularly as I get older. And so I was just curious, like, there must be other Vermonters that have this push-pull kind of relationship with the state as well. So, Miele experienced racism and lack of representation in her Vermont upbringing. When I shared her winning question on the BLS Instagram, ex-Vermonters from many corners of the country wrote in with complaints of another kind. One grammar said that in order to return, they would need to see more, quote, jobs that pay comparable wages to out-of-state. Another said they would need to see a cheaper cost of living. And another said, quote, job willing, I'd move back after grad school. But the next person we're going to hear from didn't have a job issue. She had a job, a really big job. I arrived in Vermont on March 16th, 2020, and I left Vermont on March 20th, 2022. I'm speaking with Taisha Green. Like she says, she moved here in 2020 from Minneapolis, Minnesota, after the city of Burlington recruited her. Hard. I did turn down this job four times. I was afraid of um, being in a state that was seemingly so white. And I was afraid of not being able to find community there. But one of my friends said to me, you know, do you want to put out fires or do you want to make real change? And my answer to that was coming to Burlington so that I can make real change. That's why I came. And uh, I don't regret it. I don't regret coming to Burlington at all. Taisha served as the Director of Racial Equity, Inclusion and Belonging for the City of Burlington. When I looked up the city's mission for the job, part of it reads, REIB has a focus on eradicating systemic racism in all forms. So, you know, no pressure. But as Taisha says, she did this huge job for two years. Two long years. And when I left Burlington and I got on the plane, I was like, well, that was cute. You know, we can say that we saw Vermont, but we ain't coming back here. Taisha didn't grow up in Vermont, like Miele, but turns out you don't have to, to share a lot of the same feelings and experiences that Miele did. Taisha is now back in Minneapolis as that city's director of race and equity. She and Vermont had a sweet romance, but it was one of those doomed relationships. Because like in a relationship, all the affection, or in this case, recruitment efforts in the world, don't matter if something just ain't right. Remember, Taisha came here to help eradicate systemic racism in Burlington. She says when she got here, she realized how much work had to be done. Take a phrase that's used widely in Vermont, New American. The New American thing threw me for a loop. Um, I remember it was like my first week and I heard someone say, oh yeah, the New Americans. And it landed on me in a way that my body rejected it. Because I was like, oh, what is a New American? What, What does that mean? Oh, you know, the um, immer- the people who immigrated here or were refugees from, you know, countries in Africa or countries in Asia. I was like, in Russia? In Europe? Australia? Like, are they new Americans too? So for me, it was like a way to separate out descendants of enslaved people. Taisha says she has a group of friends who Vermont would deem new American. She decided to try the phrase out on them. 
Um, I have friends from um, Ecuador, Kenya, uh, Korea. We all got on this Zoom call just to say hi, you know, see how they're doing back home and to see how I'm doing in Vermont. And I said, oh, my new Americans. They were like, what? <laughs> what did you just call me? I feel like you just called me the N-word. Is that the N-word for me? Like my Ecuadorian friend said. I was like, no, that's what they call people like you here in Vermont. They call you new Americans. They didn't like it either. And I had the city stop using the term new American. Just full on, stop using it. Did you find a word to replace it? Did you end up finding a word to replace it? Or were we just calling them people? Exactly. Let's just call them people. (laughs) (laughs) So why did you stay for two years? Assuming you left for good reason, two years is a good chunk of time in your life. So what kept you here? I stayed because I really found a home there, I I felt. Um, I stayed because I found my people there. I found my skull crew there. And... um, That was enough for me. Side note, Taisha says her Skull Crew was a group of Black ladies in Vermont who were fans of the Minnesota Vikings, the football team, back in Minneapolis. They got together every Sunday. And my mom had came out for the first Juneteenth, and um, she really wanted me to come home bad up until that point. And she said to me, this is where you belong, and I am now comfortable with understanding that this is where you need to be. So in June of 2021, I had no intentions of leaving Burlington uh, anytime soon. Well, that first Juneteenth, I mean. The first Juneteenth. Damn. That was Taisha's second year in Vermont, in 2021. The year Juneteenth became a federal holiday and the first time Burlington observed it. And thanks to Taisha, really celebrated. Lots of soul food, colorful clothing, and music, including some by this group, the Plattsburgh State Gospel Choir. I mean, it was just so wonderful. The feeling was just so truly, truly welcoming and so black. And I, I, I was saying to a friend, like, moments after I arrived, I was like, this city has never felt so black. It has never felt this black. But there were also lots of days when Taisha was on and off the job when Vermont didn't feel welcoming at all. Then there were some really scary moments, you know, going to the Northeast Kingdom and you're seeing all the Confederate flags and all the Trump signs and, and you just feel like you're in danger and there's no cell service. And you all of a sudden your GPS doesn't work. That is the scariest uh, feeling. I will never go outside to the Northeast Kingdom again. I would never make that trek to Craftsbury or any of those other berries. 
um, because of the lack of cell service and the fear that I felt in my in my entire body, knowing that something could happen and nobody would know where I am and nobody could find me, and nobody could ping my cell location, like all of those things, um, being afraid that you're going to be run off the road by these massive, you know, trucks. Um, it's scary. It's scary. Those exes of ours, sometimes they are surprising, scary, leaving us stranded without a lifeline. And sometimes they are straight up liars. Taisha shared with me that ultimately she left her job in Vermont because she felt like she couldn't be effective anymore. So in March of 2022, she packed up and moved. What would it take for you to come back? I think truth and reconciliation. One of the things that bothered me the most about Vermont is that Vermont lies. Um, Vermont has the entire country believing that there's something that they are not. Um, the entire country believes that Vermont is this uber-liberal, you know, uber-progressive, very welcoming space. But it is not. There's, there's a reason why Vermont is still, you know, one of the whitest places in the country. There's a reason. And this isn't to um, say that there aren't any black and brown folks there because there are. When you get there, you're in this bubble and they say, oh, no, you know, we're we're good here. But they will push against anything that has to do with the advancement of people of color. I, I think that we Vermont has to stop saying that it's welcoming. Because it's not. It depends on who you are, if you are welcomed into Vermont or not. Vermont has to stop saying that, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. I believe Black Lives Matter. You go, like, to different areas of Vermont. You go down Church Street. You see all the Black Lives Matter signs. But when you go into those spaces as a Black person, you find out real quick how much you don't matter. So I think that once we start to get different leaders in place across the state of Vermont, once we start to get some more black and brown folks in, in those top leadership positions, I am the first black leader for the city of Burlington. That's crazy. In 2020. And would I come back? Absolutely, I would come back to Vermont. I would come back to Burlington. I'm not going to say Vermont. I would absolutely come back to, to Burlington if things are different there. Um, if the, the representation looks like me. When we come back, a Vermont transplant who is working really hard at retention, a bit of poetry, and as it turns out, you don't have to be a person of color to want to leave Vermont in search of more diversity. Welcome back to Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn, and today we're hearing from our Vermont diaspora about why they left and what it might realistically take to get them to come back. Every time I go back, I get that little itch and that little 
hearkening, you know, for like, oh, it's so beautiful. Mile Goyle, originally from Marshfield and now based in Seattle, submitted the winning question asking about our diaspora because, well, she kind of wants to know if it's safe to come back. While here for 18 years, she was bullied, taunted, mocked, and physically abused for being adopted and Vietnamese. So in order to make the trek back home, there's a lot to overcome. And then there's this implied third part to Mile's question. Say we do get our diaspora to come back. How do we get them to stay? Cool. So we're starting off in the podcast recording studio, um, which lets people uh, record. We have a number of different pieces of equipment for both audio recording. Uh, shout out to the full Vermonti. They record a podcast here um, and they're highlighting Vermonters. Um, Monique Priestley have, grew up um, in New Hampshire, just across the river from Bradford, Vermont. She went to grad school in Seattle. Hey, Mile. Met her partner and is now living in Bradford. For those who don't know where Bradford is, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from the very remote Northeast Kingdom. But that's cool. Honestly, that's a big part of Monique's purpose. She wants you to move here to find, wait for it, more community. And of course, really good internet. Yeah, so definitely people who are struggling with broadband, but then also like the sense of like isolation is like a big, that's kind of the point of this, even more than access to broadband is... um, like definitely remote work. I remote worked for almost a decade before I started this and like working on your couch next to your fridge with your cats and your dogs and your partner uh, by yourself at home is like not, it's not that much fun after a while. In 2018, Monique founded The Space on Main, a 7,000 square foot nonprofit community-based co-working space on the Main Street in Bradford. Folks who desire a little company while they work and yes, Wi-Fi, can get a membership. The space is also a conference center, an arts and culture haven, a gallery space, a podcasting room, and if you need a green screen to shoot some video, that's also on the menu. Monique, who in her spare time is running for state rep, says right now the space on Maine has 37 members. And she also uses this space to play a bit of a community matchmaker. So, for instance, like we had, um, we had an artisan market, and we had a, um, a family who the mother's Korean, and she makes Korean food. They came here, and they're like, Vermonters can't handle spice; they're not gonna like our food, <laughs> like all this stuff. She, the first market they did, so they took a chance on us. They sold out in an hour, <laughs> and they're like, "Whoa, Vermonters are, are like." <laughs> Vermonters have been missing some yeah. spice. <laughs> totally. So, is your goal to welcome people? to connect people or to keep people? All three. (laughs) Definitely trying to keep people here and everything is trying to connect people, yeah. I'm moving to Bradford. (laughs) In the search to answer that third part of Mila's question about whether or not Vermont has changed since she was young here, perhaps the lesson really is that change in Vermont begins with one small town at a time. We actually do still own our house. Um, we rent it out right now. And so it, you know, again, that's part of my calculus about coming back. It, you know, is definitely something we could do. This is Laura Philbach, and she's currently living in Ohio. But as she mentions, Vermont housing wasn't a problem for her. She and her family still own their home in Callis, over by Plainfield and East Montpelier. So technically, she can come back here whenever she wants. But there are a few things stopping her. For one, 
she has had firsthand experience with the job complexities here. If I saw maybe, I don't know, like a clear job or a path or something, then I would certainly be interested in that. When Laura was here, she and her husband had those hard-to-find good jobs. He works as a civil engineer, and she has worked in public media over the years. But they both had to travel far and wide to make it happen. Her husband even worked out of state. I had been commuting up to Burlington for many years um, for work and then for school. And my husband was actually, he got a job at Dartmouth. So we were literally like, he was going an hour plus south. I was going like an hour to Burlington. And I was like, I, I just like, I love it where we live, but like, I can't just drive all the time. Like if I didn't have to drive so far. Jobs and housing aside, Laura and her family also left for similar reasons to our question asker, Mile Goyle and Taisha Green. The lack of diversity made living here uncomfortable for her. The only difference being, Laura's white. And though she admits she could never experience the particular difficulties Mile and Taisha have, she did struggle with being here. She says there just wasn't even enough diversity in her community to practice being an ally. I think that, you know, people think we're liberal, we, we're not racist, we, we are, you know, all about equity. But then when it comes down to like, you know, this neighborhood is, you know, has a lot of, you know, refugees and it's right next to my neighborhood. How do I behave now? Like how welcoming am I actually? If Vermont was Laura's lover, I'd say she broke up with it because of a reason I've certainly ended relationships before. She saw some bad habits here. She didn't like them. She didn't want to participate in them anymore. And she knew the only way to break them was to leave. Five years ago, she moved to Cleveland and purposefully moved to a brown and black neighborhood. Well, I think that a lot of white people that grow up around a lot of other white people, they never have to think about race. I mean, that's who I was, you know, growing up for a long time. It was like something hypothetical where it's like, well, yes, of course I believe in like not being racist and equality and all of that. But it's like you never have to really put your values to the test. These days, Laura actually has brown and black friends, neighbors, even colleagues, which she didn't have in Vermont. And she says it's hard to imagine going back to the Vermont bubble. What would it take for you to come back to Vermont? I guess it would be, I guess what it would take for me to to feel more comfortable coming back is like if I felt like I had a, a clear way to, to not feel like I'm returning to this idyllic place and, um, and going back to a life where I don't have to think about these things. And for me, it would be easy to do. And I just would be afraid that that would happen. So you've all been pretty tolerant of my love metaphor so far. Thanks for indulging me. There's more where that came from. And as it turns out, I'm not the only one who likes them so much. You know, sitting a few rows back in terms of geography. And it, it has allowed me to love and appreciate things about Vermont. Maybe more. Because maybe it's like the couple that breaks up and they get along better because they're not together. <laughs> I thought, oh boy, anyway. 
you may recognize this voice as Ruben Jackson from our Vermont Public, formerly VPR, Airwaves. Ruben was our Friday night jazz host from 2012 to 2018. Before that, he was a teacher here in the state. Before that, he went to college at Goddard, just outside of Montpelier in Plainfield. He ended up there after seeing it in a magazine. I'm flipping through it. There's an ad for a college. And I showed it to my father. My father said, no way. No way you're going to some weird school like that. My mother said, you have a year, I'll work on it. I mean, it's not the only place I focused on, but uh, I had that feeling that Goddard would be okay. Ruben is speaking with me from D.C., where he lives now. He works as an archivist with the Felix E. Grant Jazz Archives at the University of the District of Columbia. Ruben is a Black man who deeply, deeply loves this state. That was never an issue for him. The problem was, it did not love him back very well. It's an uppercase paradox, for sure. But um, it is... It is a home of mine. So much of my uh, family of choice is in Vermont. It is probably, in that sense, it's more of a home than D.C. is for me. And, you know, I come back and the feeling I have, I mean, of course, I still drive with my license in the cup holder because of the police. Ruben left Vermont and our organization four years ago. And ever since, the push and pull between who he is, what he values, where he's from, where he wants to be, and where he is most safe, has weathered Reuben. There is something weary in his voice. When you're younger, I think you have more chops to fight the man, the proverbial man. But I began to feel like, like old NFL running backs, and you get enough uh, forearms upside the head I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And some people have more, what, long-range resilience than others. And I was, you know, yeah. If Vermont is Ruben's lover, I think it was an abusive one. I don't think I've ever met someone who tried so hard for so long to stay here. But eventually, the whiplash between the beauty and the mistreatment, that paradox he speaks about, beat him into submission. And the worst part, which also aligns with my abusive partner metaphor, is that when he did try to speak up about it, no one believed him. I'll just use a metaphor, like if a dog bites you in the butt, and then you go to the doctor and say, oh, I'm bleeding, this dog bit me. And people say, are you sure? Like, we're the first state to outlaw dogs biting you in the butt. And I think institutional racism in Vermont is deeply, deeply dug in. So there's that, and then there's the equally fervent denial of its existence. How can you love somewhere that feels racist? Ooh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you live in a racist society, and I, I feel that we do, you are going to get your licks, you know, so to speak. And I know uh, potholes and everything and all, it's, you know, I'm pointing to my heart, it's there. It is there. 
Because there's no simple answer to Mille's question about the Vermont diaspora, we're going to close this episode with something more open-ended, a poem by Rubin. And it speaks well to the complicated nature of leaving your lover, or in this case, a place that you really love. Here's Reuben Jackson reading Sunday in East Glover. Sunday in East Glover. Two lane roads twist like an awkward boy at a house party. Chamber of Commerce autumnal breezes say, It's okay to be an October smitten brother in a corny plaid jacket, which screams, I too fell in love with technicolor fairy tales about this place. I am a concrete weary man en route to a tryst with trees and silence. I wave to blushing hills, check the rearview mirror for police suffering from a drought of quotas. But now, It is as calm as a day in which my blackness is unsettling. Somewhere, God is watching football on a flat screen. I share my wishes with the sky. so much for listening to the show and thanks to Mile Goyle for the great question. If you have questions you want us to tackle in an upcoming episode, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. That's also where you can find photos of some of the diaspora I spoke with for this episode captured in the cities they live in now. I reported this episode and I did the mix and sound design. Additional production and editing from the Brave Little State team, Angela Evansy, Josh Crane, and me. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions, the Plattsburgh State Gospel Choir, and me. Special thanks to Peter Hirschfeld, Heidi Kalb, Louise Brill, Kate Bloffson, and Joe Pace. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public. If you like our show, please make a gift at bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Myra Flynn. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont storytelling. Until then, be brave. Ask questions. Has given up.